You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Grant Partrick. Well, I went to uh, North Georgia College and State University, which is a mouthful in Dahlonega, Georgia. Graduated in December 2010. And I graduated with a finance degree and a leadership degree, of which I use both all the time. Um, I wanted to go work on Wall Street. I found out pretty quickly after I graduated from North Georgia College and State University that Wall Street is not looking for people with finance degrees from North Georgia College and State University. And so I kind of changed and altered my plan. I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. I went to Georgia State University to get a master's of accounting, which lasted weeks. And then I realized I didn't want to do that and made a large donation to the university there. <laughs> so that landed me in Atlanta, Georgia. Didn't know a lot of people, was coming to Passion City Church, was starting to get plugged in. I was leading a high school family group at the time in Passion Students and was starting to meet people and kind of get connected. But I got invited to a party that first year that I was here. Now, I'm an extreme introvert. Like, you give me the test and I will break the record on the introvert scale. And so I get invited to a party. I hate parties. I don't ever want to go to a party. The worst possible scenario for me is to be invited to a Halloween party. Because not only do you have to go to a place where there's a lot of people who you don't know, you also have to dress up and then go to a place where there's a lot of people you don't know. And this is a double whammy for me. So I do get, you know, I wear the like least thought out costume I could possibly wear. Not costume, that would be a, that would be a bold statement. I just wore a t-shirt and showed up to this party. And as I showed up to the party, not knowing anybody there, I walk into the house, I'm, I'm kind of moving down the main hallway. I look to my right down this little lane that goes to the kitchen. And when I look down that way, I saw this girl all the way up against the counter in that room. And when I saw her, I literally just went like this. And drool started to come out of both sides of my mouth. And I didn't talk to her. Lord, I would have never talked to her because I didn't have time to work the system. You understand the system, right? Where you begin investigation, you put all the social medias together, you figure out what you can find, where did they go to school, who are their friends, how many mutual friends do we have? Do we have any mutual friends? Is that going to be a problem if we don't have any mutual friends? Okay, we do have a mutual friend, but I don't even know them, but Facebook says we're mutual friends, so I'm going to reach out to them to see if we can make some kind of connection. And then when I talk to them, it won't be like weird out of the blue. You know how that's how it works now. I definitely would not have talked to her the first time I saw her. So I see her, I start asking all these other people that I don't know, hi, I don't care who you are, do you know who that person is over there? Uh, I find out her name, then I start the stalking, I start figuring out, okay, who is this person, what are they into, what does she like, who do we both know, nobody, okay, that's kind of a problem. I go to another party at Christmas, just a month, two months later, and when I get to this party, I only went with one intention. I don't care about the people here, I don't even care about making friends here. I'm here because I heard that Maggie Yonker was going to be here. Is that true? Yes, okay, I'll come. So I come to the party with the sole intent of, I'm going to be here for five minutes. I'm coming in, I'm going to ask her out, and then I'm leaving. <laughs> and, and I walk in, and there she is with her brother. Not the ideal environment, by the way. If you're going to ask a girl out, be helpful if the brother wasn't there. So I did what every man in this room has done. I walked in with a lot of confidence, and then I did a lap. 
And then I got back to the room and then I did another lap. And I did 17 laps thinking to myself when I would get on this side of the lap, man, this is gonna be so awkward. She's gonna say no, then you're gonna leave. And then what are you gonna do if she says no? What if it's like a major no and then it's a scene? Like, why are you talking to me? What are you gonna do? How awkward is this gonna be? And I just lap and lap and lap and lap and lap and lap. And then the brother left and I'm like, okay, here we go. One more lap, two more laps. And then finally I got to the moment I said, you know what, I'm just gonna go for it. And I did. No, we didn't have anything in common. I didn't have a friend introduce me politely. I just walked up to this girl out of the blue and said, hi. <laughs> and I had rehearsed what I would say. Don't know what I said. I do know it was the most awkward 45 seconds in the history of humankind. She, then I asked her out. She said, yes, I hadn't planned for what to do when she said that. <laughs> so I just went, great. And then I left, <laughs> got in my car, called my brother. At this point, I'm sweating. My legs are like cramping because I had just walked three miles in someone's living room. I get in the car. I call my brother. I'm like, she said yes. And then he said, when? And I said, shoot. <laughs> I forgot that part. So I sent her a Facebook message because that's what you did during this time. And we met at a Starbucks because that's also what you did at this time. And now we're married and we have a baby. And that's incredible. I tell you that story because every man that's in the room knows that feeling. You know what I mean? That awkward, like, whoa, I don't know how this is going to go, man. I, just, I guess I just got to press through and go for it. But I don't know how this is going to go. I'm going to just do one more lap and talk myself into it. And what we're talking about today, when we talk about living a winsome life, when we talk about the idea that we are God's plan A to reach the city and the world. For most of us, we're all familiar of what it feels like to know that and accept that and acknowledge that and to just keep doing laps. <laughs> I don't know how this is gonna go. This could be awkward. What if I talk to that guy at my work and, and it's awkward? Then we like kind of ruin our whole relationship. I'm just not gonna say anything. I'm just gonna do another lap. I'm just gonna do another year long lap without ever leveraging this relationship for something that matters. And what I learned in that moment with my wife is this. If you believe that the potential of the reward is worth it, you will endure the risk. You will endure any risk if you believe that the reward is worth it. And I want to call all of us up today to the greatest reward there ever has been, which is heaven multiplying and heaven becoming more populated because of the lives we live on planet earth. And I want us to be inspired today by the apostle Paul, who's the most boss Christian who has ever lived. Amen. We don't give this guy enough credit. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to take a risk because it's the 1145 and the only person here that's going to tell me when I've talked for too long is my wife. But I would like to try to read almost a whole chapter of scripture and do a Bible study. Anybody up for that? Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll pick up in verse 1. Get comfortable. It says this, Paul writing, Am I not free? Am I not 
an apostle. Now, let me just set the backstory of where chapters one through eight have been. Paul, he's writing to the church in Corinth and conflict has risen up in the church of Corinth and it's all been based on who are our leaders and are they actual tested, tried and true leaders? So some people are saying, I follow Cephas and some people are saying, I follow Apollos and some people are saying, I follow Paul and I follow this person and that person and all this conflict has risen up as to like, who are we actually supposed to follow and how do we know who's legit? And so Paul is writing, this chapter is a defense of his position to the church saying, I am an apostle, not by my own choosing, but because Jesus Christ has put that on my life. So this is the heart behind what Paul is writing. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen With my own eyes, Jesus, our Lord, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others. So some people are saying, you're not one of the 12. So you're not one of the apostles. Even though some people are saying that, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Verse three, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Okay, so what's happening here is Paul is explaining that he is a true apostle and with true apostleship comes certain rights that all the other apostles are taking advantage of. And Paul is saying, I have every single right to have everything that they have because I too am a disciple. That's what he's saying here. Or is it only me and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? The root of this right is that the funding of his ministry would come from the church in Corinth. So Paul is saying, hey, all of the other, all of the other apostles, they're funding, how they're doing what they're doing is all being funded by the church. But now because there's conflict around whether I'm a true apostle or not, you're saying to me, should he receive funds from the church or not? And Paul is defending his position and saying, hey, I have every single right to do that. Verse seven, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? who tends a flock and does not drink the milk. Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the exact same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is that about an oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. Again, all this, his defense. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? So you kind of get the feeling of what Paul's rising up and saying here, but then listen to this next verse. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder 
the gospel. So here's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying in his ministry, which is amazing, the proclamation of the gospel, he is planning churches all over the world. And he's saying, hey, I have every single right for the church to be the one who is funding my mission here, but I never once exercised that right. Why? Because it wasn't a right of mine? No, I laid down my right to be right so that I could instead be light. And so there's conflict around whether I'm an apostle or not. And if there's conflict around that, I'm not gonna take a penny from the church, even though I could because I'm apostle, I'm gonna lay that down. I'm actually gonna work as a tent maker and get my hands all jacked up and my back's gonna be all jacked up. Why? Because if, if me taking money from the church is gonna cause conflict in the church and confusion in the church and is gonna sidetrack my mission on planet earth, which is the people in Corinth coming to life in Jesus, I'll never take a dime. Even though I am entitled to it, I deserve it, I have every right to do that, I will never take a dime. This is Paul's heart. Pretty amazing, isn't it? He says, don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Verse 15, but I have not used any of these rights. And I am not writing this and hope that you would do such things for me. So he's going, hey, this isn't a guilt trip. I'm not telling all of you people now in Corinth, I have every right for you to fund my mission like all these other apostles. Now here comes this bucket and put your money in there. You go, no, I don't want any money from you. That isn't the point of me telling you this. I'm more so telling you this to bring validity to my message and to the evangelization of Corinth. In the same way, uh, jumping just down, verse 16. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast because I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. See, in our context right now, everybody knows what right I have. I have the right to do this. I deserve that. I've earned this. I have the right to do this. And Paul is saying, hey, on a way bigger level, I have the right to do all of that. And I deserve all of that, but I will not take advantage of all that if it costs me what I want most, which is this city coming to life in Jesus. I'll lay every, even if it means I gotta work 10 times as hard, even if it means I gotta be up all night preaching the gospel and then up early the next morning making tents so I can get more money so I can preach the gospel. If that's the way I have to do it to keep the message, the message, to keep the main point, the main point, then here we go. His life was so clear. His mission was so evident and he wasn't willing to let anything sidetrack him from what God had called him to do. Now these verses everybody will be familiar with, but I want you to see them in new light now, knowing the backstory of this chapter. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law and then makes it clear, even though I myself am not under the law anymore. I have experienced the grace of Jesus. I'm no longer under the old 
covenant law. Now I'm under grace. Even though I'm not under that, I became as though I were under that so that I could win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Last one, I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. What a clear picture of a life laser focused on the mission Jesus has given us for our time on planet earth. What, what a sacrificial life. You know how easy it would have been for Paul to just roll on out of there? I have every right to do this. I'm not making you do anything that's not right. I, I'm, I'm not doing anything that's crazy. I have every right to do this, but I'm gonna onboard all of the extra that it requires for me to reach you because me reaching you is more important to me than you honoring my rights. What a life. What a laser-focused life. I want to read you how Eugene Peterson translates these last few verses in the message, and then we'll jump down, and I have a few points to pull out for all of us. He says this. Listen carefully. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious Non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, important parentheses. But I entered into their world and I tried to experience things from their point of view. I love this. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God saved life. I did all this because of the message. The message is what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. And I wonder at Passion City Church Cumberland this morning, is there anybody who would say down at the root of my heart, that's what I want to be about. I don't want to just be familiar with the message. I want to be in on the message. And if we will sign up and get into the game for that kind of life, I think we will see our city, our families, our companies change. A few points to pull out. Number one, we have to infiltrate culture before we can influence culture. You have to be in the culture before you can shape the culture. Why? Because you can't steer a ship if you're not willing to get in it. You say, well, what does that practically look like? Well, for, a, for Paul, what it looked like is, I, I, I'm, I'm a slave to no one, but I'm gonna be a servant to everyone. And when I'm around the Jews and there's all this controversy of should I eat that or should I not eat this or can I eat this and can I eat that, even though I can eat whatever I wanna eat, when I'm in their presence, as long as it doesn't violate my convictions in Christ, I'm gonna live the way that they live so that I can be in their world with the plan and purpose of ultimately leading them and winning them over for the gospel. I'll get right in the mix with them. To those under the law, 
I became like one under the law. See, our adaptability leads to credibility with people. You understand what I'm saying? Like you, you have to, if you're trying to win people over for the gospel, you've got to know something about the people you're trying to win over to the gospel. You cannot win people over to the gospel by playing the same play you know how to play every single day. You have to study them. Like I did Maggie before I asked her out. I said, what's she into? Then I found out she went to Georgia Tech. And then I said in my car, there's no chance somebody from Georgia Tech is ever going to date somebody that went to North Georgia College and State University. But the Lord is gracious and here we are. I knew that she was going to Haiti, which was weird. It was borderline stalking, but stalking's only weird if you don't marry the person. <laughs> and so when I came to talk to her, I knew I had all this around in my mind and I'm thinking, okay, keep this compartment in this compartment. I know that you know all that, but maybe don't say all that because that's a little weird. And so I got up to her and just said, so Haiti. And they were like, uh, how do you know that? Why? Because I've watched your life. Because I know about you. I know about what you like. I know about what you care about. I know about what you're into. And I'm willing to do the background work of coming to the table and being interested in the things you're interested in. Why? So that when we pass in the hallway, we can strike up a conversation. It's not, hey, hey, see you never. It's more like, hey, how about that game? I don't care anything about the game. I care about you and you care about the game. So I care about the game. So let's talk about it. Why? Because then we have more conversation. And the more conversation we have, the further down the road we can get. And if we can get down the road, I believe you will be led to the path of light and you'll be won over for the gospel. We have to infiltrate culture if we want to influence it. We cannot sit at an arm's length away and yell from a distance, the light's over here. No, left, right. This way, that way. No, you have to get in the mix with people if you want to influence those people. And so I want to ask you, what does that look like for your life right now? How are some practical ways that you're doing that right now? Getting in the trenches with people, caring about what other people care about, even though you don't at your root care about it. This is what Paul did. We have to infiltrate before we can influence Number two, the gospel is not only meant to be experienced, but it's meant to be participated in. You and I are meant to experience the gospel, yes, but once we have experienced the gospel, to participate in the work of the gospel. Yes, a rescue boat from heaven came your way and you got in it, but the reality we all have to come to understand today is the rescue boat isn't a two-seat rescue boat. And if it came to us, it should go back out and we should have a lot more people. We should be joining the work. We should be joining the mission of seeing people come to faith on planet earth, in our city, in our neighborhood. We aren't called to just come in here and experience it and be like, I was there. I was there isn't enough. We're called to come in, experience it, be filled up, be in the great assembly every time it meets, but also to be equipped, to be sent, to exit, to scatter, so that when we gather back again, there will be a new family. Hey man, I didn't see you before. Hey, I didn't see you before. How'd you get here? Oh, so-and-so works with so-and-so and they met each other and he got him here. This is the life, this is the vision that we all are called to get in on 
by being followers of Jesus. We're supposed to get off the sidelines and get in the game. I said before that I was a tennis coach before I came here to work at Passion City. And when I was coaching tennis, I was training some of the best nationally ranked players there are anywhere. And we trained them really hard. You're like, it was tennis, bro. How hard can you train in tennis? What'd you do? Like, you know what I mean? I get it, trust me. You never played if you said that, but I get it if you do think that. But you know why they train so hard Monday through Thursday? Because on Friday they got in the van and they were heading to wherever the tournament was and they got to play, they got to compete. And I'm afraid that if we're not careful, we'll just practice until we get to heaven. Come on, we're gonna sing new songs. Come on, we're gonna run all the same things. Come on, we're gonna be filled up. But if all you do is practice and you never play, if all you do is sit on the sideline and learn how the game works, but you never get into the game, then we're missing the opportunity that Jesus has given us while on planet earth. And I wanna be a part, I wanna be a man, I wanna be a part of a church that gets it that yes, gathers every time the door, the doors are gathered. There is incredible power in that, but also who understands my greatest opportunity may be on Thursday morning in a boardroom that nobody else from Passion City Church is gonna be in. This is the kind of church I want us to be. When I was 2008, I got tricked into going to Passion Conference. Some of you have heard that story before. Some of you are like, that's how I got here. And when I did, it was like a firework, my life. There was a few months of processing, but when Jesus got a hold of my life and my crash collision intersected with the gospel, it was as though someone set a firework off. Everything I wanna do now is different. Everything I want my life to be about is different than it was in 2008 and 2007 and all the years before. And I remember there was a coach growing up for me, his name was Murray, and then we would travel every single weekend together. I would travel with Murray, we'd be going to a tournament. Some months it felt like I spent more time with Murray than I spent with my parents. Murray, no clue about Jesus, no clue. And I remember 2009, I'm like, man, I think I wanna like go to ministry and I wanna go to seminary and all this stuff's changing around for me. And I'll never forget being on the other end of the phone from him. And he said, Grant, if all this is happening and if Jesus has changed your life so much, then why haven't you told me about him? And I remember the way the phone felt in my hand when he said that. And I was like, Jesus, help me to not be that guy. I don't want that to be what my life is about. That I somehow secretly knowing the answer am around people all day, every day that are gonna have to work and have to ask questions to get to what I have. I wanna be a person who has a mindset of going, man, I am living on mission here. And yes, I have been saved and set free and redeemed by the grace of Jesus. And I believe that the same grace that set me free is gonna set you free. So you may not wanna hear about it, but I'm gonna be in your story, man. And when your life hits the wall, I'm gonna be right there. And when it does, I'm gonna be able to tell you how I got through. Not for the sake just to tell you how I got through, but because I believe how I got through is how you're gonna get through. And it's the most important thing to me. So I want you to know about it because you're important. And I wonder for us, how many people in your neighborhood have any clue that you're here this morning? 
Like how many houses did you have to drive down on your street with all the cars in the driveway today and they have no idea where you're leaving to go? If they're gonna know, we're gonna be the ones that tell them. Not me, not a paid Christian, not five or 10 of us, all of us, thousands of people who are alive in Jesus are gonna be the people who see the city change. But we're gonna have to step into it. And is it risky? Of course it's risky. Of course it is. Could it be awkward? Yes. I mean, conversations I've had with people about Jesus that are awkward. So many. But in my mind, I believe the reward is worth it. And so I'll endure the risk of that. See, the tendency for us is to seclude ourselves. We, we, we got ours, we're good. We'd like to hit eject now. Just wake us up when we get to heaven, be great. I got an uncle somewhere down the line if somebody could do something about him, but. And we just seclude ourselves. It's like, I think about this. I told you I was a student pastor before. That's why there's a tent on the stage. It's like this. We meet Jesus. Our life gets changed. We begin to form our community around us. And then we actually make being alive in Jesus a qualification for you to be around us. You wanna be around my family? Great. Where do you go to church? How many days a week do you go? Do you know all the lyrics to the new Hillsong album? The new one? Do you know Oceans? Every word? Do you know the Spanish version of Oceans? Not there yet, okay. You got a small light, but hey, there is a light. So you can come on in here, bro. What about you? What's your story? Where were you yesterday? Really, Saturday night? Interesting. You can't come in here if that's where you were last night. <laughs> This is not for you. See this in here, you gotta turn your light on before you come in here because we're trying to see how bright we can get it in here and we can't really have your low wattage coming in here. What, what, what happened to you? You've been through what? You're addicted to what? You're wrestling with what? Great, awesome. There will be a day when you can come over to my house, but it is not today. You need to figure some of that out. And then everybody else is like, come on in. Make sure you turn your light on. Let's get it bright in here. Come on in. Let me just turn my light on. Sorry, guys. There's a few seconds in here where y'all are probably worrying about whether I had one. Here we are. I, I wonder what's wrong with all those people out there. I wonder when our neighbors, babe, are going to get it. Like, how long do you think it's going to take them to get it? We keep seeing them come in here Saturday night about 2 a.m. We hear them yell in their room at night. What, what, what's wrong with them? Can you see them? I wonder why it doesn't really like feel like Jesus is doing something really significant right now in the city of Atlanta. What do you think, what do you think all their problem is? You just don't think they're interested in it? You don't think they want it? And there's that one guy over there, his light's kind of been flickering for a while. I know he had some stuff going on in his marriage. I think maybe he's gonna stumble into church one of these days. He'll be our guy. And then we sit in here and sing songs like, take me deeper, Lord. Follow you anywhere. And Jesus is going, great. If you wanna follow me, guess where I'm going? <laughs> 
There's six and a half million people out here. That's all great. And I'm in there. Trust me, I'm in there with y'all. But there's six and a half million people out here. And the world is never going to get in here if we're not willing to get out here. This is the whole point of the gospel. The world is never going to buy the lie that we sell them when we say, Jesus, in order for you to get with him, he comes, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to earn his love. He just moves towards you. It's going to be really hard for them to believe that if every time they're around us, we make them earn our love. Oh, Jesus, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything to get in that thing with him, man. Jesus, you just come like you are, come like you are. Now to get in mine over here, bro. You're going to have to, whatever happened Friday night, you're going to have to get rid of that. You want to come over here and be around my family. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. You're the plan. I, I could have come up with a billion different plans, but I made the plan you and you and you, not professional Christians. I made the plan us, sons and daughters. You're like, well, well what do you do? Yes, I do this for a living, but my job is not to preach. My job is not to be a professional Christian. My job is to get in on the work. And the outworkings of that for me is that happens here. You're like, well, I work in IT. Great, you are an evangelist who happens to do IT. Well, I work at, down at Georgia Tech and I'm in the academic advising office. Great, you didn't just happen to get there. That is your Holy Spirit assignment from God for you to be his representative at Georgia Tech, go for it. See, we all have the same job. It just works itself out different. And you have to see it that way if we wanna see the world change. And I know the, I know the rebuttal, I know the, the urge, you know, what you feel when you say that is, man, what do I even say? What, do, what if I don't know the answer? That's what kept me on the sideline for a long time. What, what if I don't know what to say back to him? Can I just relieve the tension a little bit in the room? The world doesn't need you to be perfect. The world just needs you to be present. They just need you to be there. They don't need you to be able to explain the divine depths of the Trinity. They need you to be in their living room when their marriage is on the rocks. And you don't have to have seminary education to be able to do that. You don't have to be able to solve all the theological conundrums in the world. You just have to be in the hospital waiting room when your neighbor's kid is in there. The way I've felt this in my life as a preacher, no one message have I ever felt like I'm really putting this to action, ever. I just feel like I'm up here doing a thing and then I'm there. But man, the times that I've sat in the, in the waiting room with people at the hospital, I don't have anything to say. I don't have an answer for why this happened. I don't have any of that. But man, I just want you to know I am here. I'm not going anywhere. My shoulder is a shoulder for you. If you need to put your head on somebody's shoulder, I'm right here and I'm not going anywhere. This is what it looks like to fight for the people in the city of Atlanta and all the people who are resting their head on your shoulders can't be people who already have the light because Jesus is on the move and if he's on the move I don't know about you I want to move with him and he's moving into the city he's moving into the places where it will be risky for us to go but man the reward will be worth it and this is what Paul displayed for all of us. It's gonna cost me something. This isn't gonna be easy. 
But at the end of the day, my goal here isn't to have a good job and get a good retirement and get to the right lake house. My goal is that at the end of my life, which is a vapor, I'm gonna stand before Jesus. And when I do, I want there to be a line behind me. And I want us to be a people who live that kind of life. So like for you right now, how, how far down in your phone would you have to scroll through your text messages before you got to someone who's not following Jesus? How far back on your calendar would you have to go to get to a Paul-inspired day? Oh yeah, I've got the right to do all that. I'm not a slave to anybody and I don't have to do it, but I'm making myself a servant to all and I'm gonna get in your world, why? Because I believe I have what you need and I can show you the way to get there. So come on church, we're the plan. The city's not gonna change unless we change and unless we carry this into the city with us. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be present. Jesus, the ultimate display of this. You know, Jesus hanging on a cross on Calvary's hill, every right, he has every right to just be like, I'm done, I'm coming down. All you guys, you're done. Mess with the wrong guy, cause I'm God, you're done every right, but he didn't. What did he do? He endured it. He made himself weak. Why? So that he could do what Paul said, so that I could win the weak. And who were the weak? Every single one of us, you, me, every single person who was separated from God, Jesus knew I have every right to hit eject at any point, but what's gonna make me God isn't me coming down off this cross, it's me staying on this cross. And so I'm gonna endure the pain to win that son and to win that daughter. And I want that kind of servant heart. I don't wanna make my life about me. I wanna live on purpose so that at the end of the day, when I get to heaven, it's way more crowded than it would be if I made my life all about myself. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.